0: And welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi. Hey, good to see ya. So, let's let's take a look at Matthew here. Oh, you know what, first, are you having a grown-up beverage? Is it a man? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you know me but i I wanted to do something special in honor of this chapter so we're talking about matthew 2 which includes the story of the star over bethlehem so i am drinking a cocktail called a star Oh, just just for the fun of that so yeah apple brandy yeah apple brandy sweet vermouth and bitters
0: yeah i'm having a i'm having a martini tonight cheers cheers yeah so listeners we are talking this week about matthew chapter 2 If you haven't had a chance to read the translation, be sure to check it out. There's a link to it in the show notes. Don't forget the footnotes. There's a few good ones this week. So go ahead and give it a read. Welcome back, everybody. I'm just going to jump right into the first verse here. You know, I'm used to hearing like wise men traveling across the desert or Mesopotamia or whatever. Sometimes mm-hmm. this word that doesn't mean anything in English, magi. Sometimes what that word is the root of, magicians, is used. No. Wouldn't, be. Uh, I've, Wouldn't be. I've bad. heard the phrase no. The, We three Kings, but here you've got astrologers, which is, it's a weird, it's, it's a surprising personality to see in the Bible. What's going on here?
1: Yeah. I think this is what these people are like Kings, for instance, I don't think has anything to do with the word Magi. I think that tradition came out of the the fact that the gifts that they give Jesus are super expensive gifts. So therefore they must be Kings, right? Because we can't
0: acknowledge that religious professionals Can, in all cultures, make a garish amount of money. Right. But what this is, in up until
1: modern era, there wasn't a difference between studying the stars in the sky for scientific purposes and for communal, religious, spiritual understanding. It was the same people doing both jobs. So, they, so to be an astronomer was also inherently to be an astrologer. So that's that what these people's role are. They're, they're religious leaders, spiritual leaders, people who studied the stars for portents of wisdom. I, I don't know how you would want to, however you want to put that, but that's clearly what they're doing. Not 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 just being astronomers and like taking scientific measurements, but they're, they're getting messages from the stars, right? That yeah. saw his star and it's rising. We've come to that bow before the king. It's not something I would hear Stephen Hawking writing about, probably. Generally not, no. Yeah, so, I mean, so that's what they. Whether or not they practiced astrology, like we think of modern astrology with the the twelve signs and like the the horoscope predictions for each sign and i it's probably not quite that i'm i'm not sure what was involved in ancient near eastern astrology but
0: but it did bring them to for whatever reason they are looking up at all this making like sacred meaning out of the celestial bodies and it leads them to this baby Josh. Huh,
1: <laughs> we talked about this.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're not calling him Josh. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not
0: Baby Josh, Joshy yeah. boy. No. Yeah. And it takes them, it takes them to him. It's, it's a bit chastening. Like I, I so mm-hmm. love to dunk on astrology. It, it just seems absolutely goofy to me to think that my identity yeah. was based on like where these balls of fire were in the firmament when I was born, and that therefore somebody born a hundred years before me, when the bodies were in a similar pattern like it's just so easy to dunk on, and yet here here are devout enthusiasts of making some meaning out of the pattern some sacred meaning out of the movement of the bodies and it leads them to the Christ child, yeah, I like don't want and that to I, be I- in there, but <laughs> Yeah, and
1: frankly, probably most Christian people would have issues with this, right? Like they're not supposed to be the ones that know what's going on with God, that have access to God's messages, to God's truth, to to yeah. know what's going on. It's supposed to be the people reading the Bible, right? Not the reading the stars. So it's uncomfortable.
0: But I mean, they get so- it
1: right. Yeah. In a really in a really in a way that really highlights how attuned they were to really important things where every all the people reading the scriptures the hebrew scriptures that jesus knew as the bible missed yes all of them none of them were ready for this for it to happen at this moment but these these guys they were
0: yeah i i would feel so much more comfortable with them being like just generally part of another religion like if they're coming from india as like mm-hmm. hindu priests or holy folk if they're coming from you know like tibet or china and like as bringing some buddha stuff to it mm-hmm. they could be more of a folk religion and that brings them to christ for whatever reason like astrologers just has such a <laughs> because yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is probably good. I think it needs to be something that makes us uncomfortable as we yeah, I think that's the point.
0: That That's the point. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. no, I, I see how there are some patterns of Trinitarianism even in Hinduism. Therefore, I'm okay with it. Like, no, no. This is just going to be the pseudoscience of personalities. <laughs> <laughs> and even that brings them to Jesus ahead of... Um, the sort of pyramid power games that unfortunately a lot of the power brokers of his day in his neighborhood were up to.
1: Yeah. I have to say now I'm curious to learn about ancient Near Eastern star watching.
0: I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. It seems Listeners, like my... if you know anything about that, please tell us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, probably it there's that's not said explicitly, so it's not for sure, but it seems like probably they're from Persia. So if you know anything about 2000 year old persian astronomy astrology systems we'd love to learn more
0: all right well there's first first big shift makes me uncomfortable and therefore i think i like it moving right along to you know i noticed you talk about where's the yeah verse two where is the newly born king of the judeans Mm -hmm. they were asking that's that's not a shift in every other translation Usually, it's King of the Jews. Usually,
1: it's Jews. Yeah, it it is. It could be translated either way, but they're coming and talking to Herod. Right? He's he's not the king of all Jews. He's the king of the Roman province of Judea. Yes. Um, which is named after the Jews, but that's it's the named after the country of Judah from from the Hebrew Bible period.
0: Yeah,
1: and it, it becomes important more later when you realize that it's not Jews in general who were shouting crucify him. It's specifically the residents of this providence named Judea mm-hmm. in in Palestine that were part of the crowd shouting crucify him. It, 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 It leans into some of what we were talking about before about names and this long, really pervasive history of antisemitism in theology and the church and Mm -hmm. Bible scholarship. And and I think it's important to translate it as Judeans, not because Jews is wrong per se, but because that's really not the focus. It's not about the people group as a whole.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, one other thing I, I like about this is Judeans, like you said, This is, Judah is a, it's a region for people. This is like the word Jew apart from it being used as some sort of like slur.
1: Which it's also just like the name of the group that they, that people call themselves too. It is.
0: And, you know, like after about around the time that the gospel according to Matthew was written, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jewish folks were, increasingly dispersed all throughout the near east and the mediterranean and so it's easy to just think of jew is a monotheist who's into you know torah and stuff wherever mm-hmm. they happen to live and that word yeah. is just a word and adherent to jew, right and adherent to like Deism. a f-
1: Right, someone who belongs to Judaism, like a Christian is someone who belongs to Christianity.
0: Right. But it's an it's an ethnic and geographic marker.
1: Right, it's just well. different.
0: Yeah, and that's why for all the complicated layers there are these days to Zionism as being basically propping up an apartheid state, it's mm-hmm. fundamentally the intuition. I, I say this as a Gentile. My observation is it's a reawakening to the fact that that faith and that identity has its roots in a particular part of bit of soil (laughs) yeah like this is a this is a particular place
1: yeah and that gets tricky because that Mm -hmm. isn't important i think that's something that americans in particular don't really get we, we don't talk, I think we're pretty unique in ha- paying so much attention to like, oh, I'm Puerto Rican or I'm Irish or I'm German or like what are the places our ancestors came from yeah. rather than feeling really tied to where we are as our homeland, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's it is important in, mm-hmm. in really significant ways. And at the same time, is that more important that i get to claim this land as mm-hmm. mine yeah. is more co- important than following the way of being of the god who mm-hmm. put you there yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah well and and for this story like yeah like as you said at the beginning of this stretch here it's talking about the people who live in that place like portlanders mm-hmm. californians right. like yeah which we
1: could probably keep going on and stuff but i don't know how much more but what does come to mind is there's the sense of like if we're trying to get away from the the anti-semitism piece that i keep bringing up that can be really uncomfortable and like well why don't we just leave it as king of the jews because that's how i've always known it that makes me comfortable and this is all good right this is the bible like a like however it is is good in, in by definition uh because it's the <laughs> bible right and Because for those of us, I'm not necessarily assuming everyone hearing this conversation shares this probably most, but that this is our tradition, right? This is what's meaningful to us. We either grew up in it or choose it. If we grew up in it, we've chosen to stay in it. That Jesus is important to me. The Bible is important to me. Mm. It's meaningful. It's where I take comfort and gain a sense of purpose, all of that. And being forced to reconcile with this all brings good things for me, and I think it brings good things for the world. With the fact that what there's like there's this whole tradition of anti-Semitism where it has brought violence and prejudice and oppression and death mm. to some people, like.
0: Mm-hmm
1: it would be really easy just to pretend like that's not real uh, because that would be much more comfortable because it's hard to reconcile how good it seems to me with how truly horrific it has been for so many other people and Jews, not being the only group where that's true.
0: Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but, there's a deep, long shadow in the tradition. Yeah. So what, what may seem like a, a subtle shift from Jews to Judeans Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my effort to
1: like, not bury my head in the sand and try to hold both. It's good for me. And it has been really awful for others. And I'm trying to reconcile those not by pretending it's not real, but by trying to do better to change Mm -hmm. that fact to make it so it's not still harming people. As much as I have power over I don't, I can't control it all. But yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it's a it's a low cost shift that has high margin like wearing a mask (laughs) yep you know let's let's move on to looking at verse well i guess five and five six there's this line from micah and you have in the footnotes this way in which i mean yeah if if the shift from jews to judeans is a translation decision that is I mean linguistically minute there's a substantial change in what either they said to Herod or what Matthew the way Matthew chooses to frame it can you walk us through a bit of this here and why it matters Sure. yeah it's it's interesting
1: um and I don't know if it has a lot of impact far as like christian living or like theological teaching so much as just like it's fascinating to notice as i'm going through these texts just when i come to a quotation of the hebrew bible as i'm going through my translation i go back and check like what does it say in hebrew here what does it actually say in the passage that's being quoted here partly Mm -hmm. to help me understand like and influence how I'm translating. If there's questions of like, it could be this, or it could be that I want it to be the one that's closer to the Hebrew. Um, And what I found here is that it says like vastly different things, which was just funny. Partly like I I, made me think that the motivation is probably like, Oh shoot. Like Herod's the King. He like, it's, karen or er, Herod, karen yeah, he's been a real he's been a real karen about it king king herod that's that's my mashup of king herod as karen yeah, sure. yeah. <clears throat> so he heard about it he was agitated making all jerusalem on edge with him right like so i'm guessing he has a reputation for his temper and what happens when he's not happy
0: he does see elsewhere seem to be well he and his son narcissists
1: yeah yeah like later in this chapter you start to see what happens when he's not happy and it's pretty bad but so i my hypothesis is that the people who are quoting this to him intentionally changed it to not piss him off just a guess but but because, here's why i think so yeah mm-hmm. they they changed all the things to make bethlehem and judah the the places that he's king over more flattering Whereas originally this was like a a prophecy of like indicting, making accusations against Bethlehem and Judah.
0: This is a shithole country,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, so to speak. And then they cut it off, kind of before it's finished, where it's very clearly different than how Herod is leading. So yeah, it, it's it. They, for instance, it says in the the Hebrew, and you Bethlehem of judah but in the hebrew it calls it Ephrath, which some a lot of translations just put Ephrath. but the word literally means like the ash heap it's it's not a very flattering name
0: no generally not
1: yeah and and then it goes on to say the least of judah's clans so yeah the bethlehem people you are the least important the least significant of Judah's clans, but what does it say in, in in the Greek here? Not at all, least among the leaders of Judah. That's not just a small difference; it's the exact opposite, right? Like yeah, it, yeah. They are not. They are taking some real liberties here. So sometimes there can be some slight differences between like when someone in in the Bible is quoting the Hebrew Bible versus when they're quoting Septuagint, which is the name of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And just by nature of translation, as we have been getting into, as we will continue to get into is that it's not an exact science. So depending which one they're quoting, like it could be a little different, right? That's not this. That's not what's happening here. That is too big a difference for that to be what's happening here. Mm. Um, And like I said, I don't really know what's happening, but I, that's my guess is that he brings a little bit of comic relief. If it weren't so tragic, I think that they're that terrified of him. But they're just, yeah. like, making stuff up to make it more palatable for him.
0: It's amazing to see what is absolutely intentional mistranslation, like, of sacred scripture in sacred scripture. And it's not mm-hmm. acknowledged by Matthew. It's not, holy crap, it's not acknowledged by Matthew.
1: No, I think the assumption is that the readers know their Bible well enough that they would they would catch it. But... Most of us are yeah.
0: not that, not quite that
1: I'm,
0: familiar, so. dude, until I read your footnote, i it was sort of like a wait, what the trans, the commentary or two that I've read has acknowledged this but not made much of a fuss about it, but I don't think i I don't think I had let it sink in yeah i I, I follow you on this. I think the the astrologers made their choice to say it how they did. This isn't yeah. Matthew. No, the
1: astrologers are our truth tellers in this story. This is the religious leaders saying. Oh, you're story. right. Yeah, the the Jewish religious leaders. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I the follow your lead.
1: and the Bible scholars. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that this is a political sleight of hand on the part of characters in the story, not necessarily Matthew or whatever. I know this is when there are uh, there's plenty of inconsistencies and contradictions within the total sacred library that we call the christian scriptures there's quite mm-hmm. a few even within individual books of that library gasp yeah right drama mm-hmm. yeah there is a real gasp and drama to that in some circles including where we both went to seminary but here it is and it's fun to just like sit with it and acknowledge it and that it's not even it's this this is the exception to the rule this isn't the contradiction this isn't a a proof that the bible is just a load of shit like that a lot of folks who don't want to deconstruct they want to demolish are are going for this is just a, a case of like t- telling a story about religious power figures being shrewd with a narcissist in power yeah oh man I'm just, that's a story that we all feel right <laughs> it, it is and i'm just
1: i'm thinking ahead because you know i've already looked at the rest of matthew but i'm making new connections here as we're speaking one He's, of them being we're that- changing
0: it to finding in <laughs> translation
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh,
0: I'm finding it right now. Right
1: now I'm finding it. Okay. Toward the end, I don't remember what chapter it is exactly, 23, 24, somewhere in there. The the followers of one of these religious authority groups, Sadducees, maybe chief priests, maybe I'm not sure which one off the top of my head, come and tell Jesus, we know essentially we know that you're not tailoring your message based on who you're talking to. You're not saying things just to make people happy who are powerful people. So tell us this answer. And I think I could be wrong. I think it's when they ask Jesus, like whether they should pay taxes to Caesar or not. Sounds right. That's
0: there's a sequence of like little test stories there, right? Where they're like, what about this? And they're just edgelording to like, Try gotcha-ing him. Uh And it it just hit me how that's like the perfect
1: pairing with this right here. An example of how the chief priests and the Jewish Bible scholars are exactly doing that, tailoring their message to their powerful audience to make sure that he's happy.
0: So it's okay for them to do it to the people with the swords, but it's not, Hmm. but, but it's not okay for Jesus to do it with the people with, out power. Okay, funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Double standards yeah. by right power. Yeah. Contr- yeah.
1: It also is interesting to me that it just occurred to me while we're talking to that this is our first introduction to the chief priests and the Bible scholars. The oh, translations really? do ex- experts in the law for what I've done, Bible scholars. The very first thing that we see them do is misquote scripture.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is something we found in translation. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Not even in translation, just in like actually carefully reading it. This is fun. Right. Yeah. So let's move on to verse eight with footnote C. There's this language about submitting to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me just read the verse help beginning in verse 7. Then Herod called the astrologers to him to learn from their from them exactly when the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and told them continue on your journey and search carefully for the child, but when you find him, bring me the news so that I can go there to submit to him too. Mm-hmm. What's the remind me what's the usual way of translating that
1: the usual way is often worship him
0: so that i can go there to worship him
1: sometimes it's bowed down to him and that's the most literal is bowed down to him Mm -hmm.
0: why do you imagine that was bowed down to is translated as worship him honestly this is this is like t-ball here but (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, because that's what we're taught in seminary Greek classes to tra- how to translate that word. Yeah, but that's why? It. Yeah, the, there's an a, a assumption about what bowing down to someone means, right? It's like yeah. it's an a- it's a physical action with a clear communication associated with it, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to communicate something by doing this action. And we think we, we assume we know what that communication is yeah. and I'm not convinced that we have it quite right. It's, it's not something we do in, in American culture, right? Like we're not going around getting onto our knees and then bending our over until our face touches, touch the ground when we meet people, right? Like that's not a thing that we do. We don't even do the lesser, more dignified version that the Romans did of just getting on their knees. And and staying upright, otherwise, or the medieval like knight version of on one knee, like like we shake people's hands, we say hi. That's it. We don't really have a context st- for understanding st- these We stand, we take our things. hats
0: off. Yeah, maybe if somebody know, kneels. If from,
1: yeah, depending on you where you're from. kneels yeah.
0: at a nationalist song? It's actually considered sacrilegious. But yeah, here it's. Yeah, I I would. I feel a little ill prepared in this moment in the podcast because i would love to understand what that the diversity of meanings or perhaps singularity of that phrase because yeah
1: yeah well when i originally did this section i just i did translate it as bow down to him too which which is Mm -hmm. accurate like it could stay that way and it wouldn't it would be good but when i got to chapter four and won't go too much into what I found there, but it's during the temptation in the wilderness, and it used as the same word. I dug into it a little bit more, started looking at where that Greek word was used in the Hebrew Bible and the Greek Septuagint translation of it. Started looking at the different entries in in lexicons and the, in the Greek English dictionaries, and wh- kind of the understanding that I came to is. I've, I've heard for a long time that the, like, history of the English word worship comes from worth-ship. So when yes. you're worshiping someone, you're, you're acknowledging, emphasizing, proclaiming for anybody who's nearby to hear, like, how high a value, how high a worth that person or thing has, right? Yeah, yeah. And don't think that's what this is. Hmm. This Mm -hmm. is much more about, I am acknowledging your status, not your worth.
0: Oh, that's a distinction.
1: And you have a status and I have a status that are different, right? Your status is higher than my status. Therefore I'm the one, like if two Kings come into a room together, they don't bow to each other. Like, They they're equals. Mm -hmm. Just like two peasants, or you know, more modern translation, just two like regular citizens come into a room together. We shake hands, we read each other as equals. But if someone with much more power comes in contact with less, one of them has to do something to show that they're being respectful. Yes. I think that's what this is: is it's not about telling them you're worth so much, I love you, you're great. It's I am acknowledging, I know that I'm, I'm in my, I'm putting myself in my place so that you don't have to do it for me because that would be bad. Um, and, I, and I connect that with, in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew word yireh. There's this phrase that's kind of t- treated as a, a term unto itself, and to use more Bible language with the word too, the fear of the Lord. And that kind of, it gets treated as like meaning something as a package deal separate from the, what the word fear means, because just, and I've wrestled it with for years, people like, well, the way it's used, it's, it doesn't seem to be about being afraid. It seems to be more about like showing respect or revering or like valuing. And like, that's what this is talking about. It's it's, that's what that's talking about. It's not about revering so much as acknowledging that the, the Lord is more powerful, has higher status that I I better acknowledge that so as not to force the more powerful party to acknowledge it for me which probably is going to involve humiliating me at least maybe punishing me at worst yeah so i think it comes down to an act of submission a communicating i'm submitting to you as the lower status individual in this interaction not acknowledging you're 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 great I really appreciate everything that you are.
0: Yeah. It's a hierarchy move, right. which of course, of course, Herod, it's the only way he thinks. Mm-hmm. Of course. Like, that's
1: his first thought. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> yeah. If you're American or if you're anywhere else on earth and have internet you are aware of certain American personalities who only think about hierarchy, who only think about my or their place in the pyramid, namely being towards the top. Mm -hmm. This is not a new dynamic. This is an old, boring, predictable dynamic. Who was it who said... You know, among the villains of history, or uh, among the saints of history, such rich diversity and panoply, and among the villains, such monotony, predictability, Mm. and uniformity. Good quote, I don't know who said it. I mean, it captures like, yeah, Herod, Herod is not cast here as a generic template of being an asshole with power. (laughs) (laughs) It just so happens that assholes with power get really boringly predictable. Yeah. And so it's easy to they're really easy to preach about. Like, of course, he's saying, oh, yeah, I want to go pyramid game. The baby at the end of the saw rainbow here. That's what I want to do, because that's the only world I know, because it makes me feel safe
1: and he's lying you know as we see later in this chapter he likes
0: power people do <laughs> murders a bunch
1: of people murders <laughs> yeah. a bunch of babies man there's other chapters where we talk about murdering babies why is that a theme
0: like baby killing for the sake of out of fear mm-hmm. and power is a defining image for jesus of humanity off the rails Mm -hmm. and the trajectory that's where that trajectory lands yeah but that will be in future episodes i want to shift a little bit from that to you've got in verse 13 i think is that the first time you have it i think so after the after the astrologers had gone back where they came from amazingly the Lord's messenger showed up to Joseph in a dream saying all this stuff. So there's this long pattern by long. I mean, the past century of scholars being more publicly uncomfortable with magic language, with language about God or about, about reality that they can't make sense of, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he had his own like, translation of the Bible where he highlighted everything that seemed too magical with a Sharpie. Right. And he snipped all those parts out and yeah. made it more we're like a Christian
1: here. nation. Right. Yeah. so That too.
0: And yeah. he just generally didn't like the idea of there being a power higher than what he experienced with his slaves. He, and then on into, you know, the demythologizing Impulse, which did bear some fruit, good fruit. But there is a steady translation among what I'm at least displaying as American scholars to try to dilute supernatural language in Christian scripture. And this is a moment. This is, I think, is this the first moments in your translation that could line up with that of saying, oh, you know, angel angels are weird angels are weird not many of us have felt it or seen one or any of that stuff we don't know what to do with it but we think that they do exist somewhere and so whatever we'll just take that to be some sort of like iron age mythos i don't i know you well enough to know that that's not really your motivation here in Mm -hmm. in saying messenger not angel like you're, this 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 translation decision is not born out of a desire to snip out the things that seem to be, be too beyond of human control like thomas jefferson did or too backwards and superstitious like some of the demythologizers perhaps suggested you have a different motivation here so tell us why the Lord's messenger might be a more faithful and helpful translation than what we're used to, which is the angel of the Lord.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I'm not trying to disprove or erase angels, but I I recently stumbled onto the work of Michael Heiser, who I don't agree with in everything by any means. He, he leans into it In a way that i i don't but i think he what his work is is very important he specializes in in work about spiritual beings angels demons has several books one that's called angels one that's called demons and i can't remember what the third one is off the top of my head oh the unseen realm that's what it's called so that's probably the best place to start if you're interested and He really has some really cool stuff to say about how the original readers would have thought about these beings. And he thinks that where we differ is that he assumes that how the original readers thought about it is exactly how we need to think about it. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think it's important to understand at least something of how the original readers would have understood it to to start getting at the meeting underneath that and that meeting underneath that is where we can where we can share commonalities in my view but mm-hmm. one of the things that he says is that the an an angelos, an angel a messenger isn't a kind of being it's the role it's the job description for that being so whether that's a celestial invisible spirit being or a human or maybe even as we'll get to a natural phenomenon, the what's being described by the word Angelos is what it does, not what it is. And and, and that's really important.
0: Yeah. Wow. Like it's not a class of being, it's a class, it's a description of doing or purpose. It's a role. It's a role. Yeah. Yeah. So like, talking
1: about a teacher for instance is just it's not saying whether it's a man or a woman or an elderly person or a young person or whatever it's just someone who teaches right like the teaching is the is the the role is what's in view same thing here it could be a spirit being or it could be a human or something else but it's the role of conveying a message, conveying information, carrying information and the authority behind that information is what's in view.
0: Hmm. So even just plainly, the fact that Angelos means just, it just means messenger. Right. Yeah. It's I mean, not, just, a, it's it was not a word a in the Greek
1: language that meant messenger separate from Bible, just human messengers carrying messages to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And there are, there are, passages in the Hebrew library that talk about in Hebrew, not Greek mm-hmm. angels or yeah. Like tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Not many. If you pluralize it, in, or any, oh. may, may, maybe any actually, if, if you pluralize it in Hebrew in the, in the scripture, there's other writings written between the testaments, but, but the word, the phrase here is also something more specific than just messenger too which actually connects a bit more with that genesis passage the wording here matches identically the greek translation of the hebrew bible where the phrase that's traditionally the angel of the lord it's a very particular phrase that's yeah. used not just messengers in general i've translated that it seems here: to be... the, the lord's messenger just because there's no reason to have it be of the sorry where you
0: yeah so there's this character in the hebrew library that seems to have a bit of a or there's there's a presencing that they describe as the angel of yahweh the angel of the lord the messenger of yeah yeah you switched from
1: character to presencing which is maybe a, a brandon rhodes New, newly coined term.
0: Oh, I'm totally ripping off of uh, yeah, some Irish thinkers. But yeah,
1: yeah. What, oh, now that you say that, that doesn't surprise me. But <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. but which is good because I was going to challenge character because I don't, I don't know that it's supposed to be like the same character every time. It's that not like is it's used. not like Michael
0: the Archangel at every right. turn. Yeah, right. Gabriel which, or whatever.
1: Michael shows up in. Daniel, Daniel, I th- Daniel. think, is the only place in Hebrew Bible, I it named hey, as such.
0: He might be in the Apocrypha, but I'm too Protestant to know that. Right? <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, yeah. But the Lord, the Lord's messenger, the angel of the Lord. It, it's there are some who speculate that it's like the second person of the Trinity. It's like Christ before Jesus was born, so he can't call it Jesus. But it's it shows up through the Bible anyway because we want to see Jesus and everything, which kind of depend on what you mean by that. You might not be totally wrong, but I think in the way I've heard it talked about, it's not how I would think of it.
0: I have heard that Christ is another name for everything. Yeah. It's a podcast in,
1: by Richard Rourke. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. And in the Richard Rohr understanding of the second person of the Trinity, I think I do agree.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yep. Fully that the angel of the Lord
0: but the idea, would be but, the but, second
1: but, person but, of the Trinity,
0: but the language the, the, those who go aha, the angel of the Lord is actually the second person of the Trinity have a conception of personhood and a metaphysics. I think that believes that the only way that this uh, that a person of the Trinity can manifest is hyper hyper local.
1: Yeah, yeah. The tradition that says and that human, it's human, that it's centric jesus before he was born but still conscious as the the person who became born as jesus
0: like melchizedek would be an example of yeah
1: i don't think that version of understanding the trinity is actually monotheism but yeah but that's a larger argument but so anyway the west messenger can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people and there's lots of material on arguing what exactly it means because it's pretty confusing at its core, I think it's anything that communicates God's message as God. Like you see, even when it is kind of like a character doing it, someone who either seems to be human in the story or is mysteriously maybe other than human in the story throughout the Hebrew Bible or here in in Matthew, it's a dream. It's someone speaking God's words like not like, this is what God says, but this is like, I am speaking to you. And it's not always a person or even a personified thing. So Exodus three, it's a bush that's on fire, but not burning up. And it still is the words that come from it are referred to as being spoken by the angel of the Lord. There's no like human shaped thing in that story. Yeah, Wings are not, which by the way, there's never, a description of angels with wings anywhere in scripture
0: um, no isaiah 6 right
1: nope that's a different being that's not a messenger it's that's a not a cherubim that's, or a seraphim that's a, or something. That's a seraphim ah. yep. seraphim and cherubim have wings they are not ever described as being messengers
0: ah man
1: so more nerding out here that doesn't really change. <laughs> yes, that's fantastic <laughs> yeah. like
0: the way in which we've just consolidated some of these categories Oh, that's that's amazing. I think what what makes that helpful is that, yeah i I do come from a tradition that had a hyper vigilant, hyper perception of the supernatural Pentecostalism. and I got really jaded about them seeing the Lord saith and the Lord mm, angels, and like all this stuff got really so sprayed onto everything that it was easy to just be like, you yeah, know, F at all. Like, dude, I don't even know if angels exist. And I certainly leave the door wide open for it all. But really like the point of this story here is, or, or the, the, the point of this translation decision, not the point, the reason it matters to me is it means angel language doesn't necessarily mean a certain intellectually problematic, naive, naivete about the matter it means that so my partner is Catholic and the Roman Catholic tradition has this wonderful language of sacramentality has this great language of the sacramental imagination, the way in which the divine can presence in and through and with all matters of things. And there's a thinness to this reality that can facilitate God's enunciation and God's speaking, God's addressing of us. And that can include a dream. So in being a messenger of the Lord, whether it's a bush or an experience in a dream, you know, in some ways it's it helps me trust that sacramental imagination, that trust that God may... I don't know if God is speaking through a dream, but that we can nevertheless hear God. I know that's a strange paradox.
1: Yeah. There's similar statements, but don't mean exactly the same thing. Yeah. 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 It it
0: diffuses agency of the divine a little bit because I like, this is the, this is where, you know, that, that Jewish tradition of not utter, not uttering the divine name and going so far as to say, in English, we'll drop the O from G O D and say odd.
1: When it's written out, it's G hyphen D. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. It's a way of saying I don't want to be so imperial and certain and confident in my placing of the divine that I there, there's there's a humility, there's a humbling condescension to say I feel like I heard it here. I feel like angel language is a way of doing that is a way of saying, mm-hmm. you know, Joseph had a dream where something he woke up feeling pretty damn clear about this such that and subsequent life experience bore testimony to it that this sacred divide energy was compelling was compelling something here. i'm I'm getting a bit metaphysical and weird, but I guess that's like a three minute way of saying. It's fuzzy enough <laughs> that you don't either have to believe it was bullshit or that it was a sentient celestial being. This is language for saying Joseph was pretty sure the divine was saying something to him, but mm-hmm. let's, let's like dial that shit back a little bit. Yeah. That gives me some relief that I can both trust my reality and wink at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's as I'm making translation decisions, like I'm not trying to erase spirit beings no. or make sure that they're seen. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be faithful to like, what is it actually saying and leave it open to the possibilities that it's that the text is leaving open to is as, as far as I can tell, you know, I, I'm making decisions, not just like for sure definitively saying this is, What's here? I'm doing my best, but the, the nature of translation is that it's not an exact science. But yeah, so here it's the Lord's messenger, essentially was the dream, and that may have been being kind of entering Joseph's consciousness while he slept. Maybe it was something less m- magical than that. Who knows? And that's not really the point, because no. the Bible's not real. Not the Bible was not written to prove. 20th century and 21st century atheists wrong. that is, n- that is not <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> That's not the point. No. So, no, sir. Uh, so the, the the language has nothing to do with proving those points. And so in in chapter four too, which I we may mention as we get in that part of the conversation, the the word messenger shows up again too after the temptation, and traditionally it's angels again. And I and I don't know that. It's spirit beings who come and like serve Jesus after his temptation. Like maybe it was people like it's set in the wilderness that we'll talk about. And maybe it was people who lived there, humans that lived there, or maybe Mm -hmm. it was spirit beings. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to leave it faithful to the Greek word angelos as messenger to leave the possibility of either open because the point isn't what kind of being it was. It was that they were acting on behalf of God.
0: Yes. So I want to reach towards the conclusion of this episode with uh, a, couple, a couple more topics. One specific and one a bit more meta. So let's hit the specific. In verse 17, you have it as, that event brought a fuller meaning to what Jeremiah the prophet said. And then he, you go on to quote. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah brought a fuller meaning. Yeah. Usually it's like what? Fulfilled?
1: Fulfilled, yeah. Which in some places is just translated as "fill" because that's really what it means—fill, full, like fill all the way. Really, like it's, it's a up. very it's, yeah, it's a very physical word of like filling the container kind of thing. But when it's applied to ideas, that it's about kind of bringing it to the sense of completion, and the sense of, of giving it legs, living it out, having it show up in real life. So it's given a fuller meaning here because like these events are happening that have a real impact on real people's life that expands the original context of when it was written. Like yeah. Which which verse is this? This is 13 so 17 17. 17. Yeah, so we're talking about Jeremiah, right? So he was talking about something that happened in Rama, right? Like and the children of israel rachel's children being killed but that's happening again not that this was a prediction like magic fortune telling forget that rama was a place like no this is this is happening again this is a pattern this is there's something deeper happening here that keeps happening for some reason like what is it that keeps happening and why that is connected with this story and like it has a fuller meaning a richer deeper broader meaning than the specific instance that jeremiah was talking about and jesus is showing
0: that here and matthew is showing that here wow yeah it's like these are these are stories history is neither linear nor cyclical it's more of a helix it happens sure. in it happens in there's progression and circularity progression and rhyme and this is matthew's way of saying do you see that this moment in the jesus story is ex- is a resonance with a moment in the hebrew story yeah
1: not that and this, this not, language not to keeps d- happening no, this is not by far not the only example throughout Matthew, like this. This word, yeah, we're, fulfill we're not going to have it. Or fuller meaning. In some places, I do richer meaning or even like lived out mm-hmm. um, to emphasize what it's getting at in different places. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like we've had experiences or moments where in our real life, where we recognize the pattern of a moment in a book. Or a song or a movie. You're like, oh no, that's that's like Frodo and Sam. Hmm. There's a certain sense of that here where he's saying, Do you see the literary rhyme? I think it's deeper. I don't know if there's anything more deep than that in some ways than the way in which stories that connect us across watersheds and centuries. We feel seen. We feel less alone. Because the story about Rachel and the story about the immigrant at the border. I don't have I hope that's a fair parallel. Yeah. When has a sacred have ref- their
1: children ripped away from them, never to see them again, because they tried to find refuge from destruction in their home country. Yeah.
0: Okay, that checks. A, I think
1: it's a fair parallel okay. here.
0: Okay. Yeah, often the the way in which these l- refrains where he says this brought a fuller meaning to this moment in the, so- the story, it's there's a thrilling diversity of ways of understanding that. And what I grew up hearing and like went to seminary to learn was more along the lines of and this is a proof text to like fist bump Jesus being the Messiah, which is like it's some sort of future prediction thing instead of a much yeah. deeper way in yeah. which stories actually live in a community. Yeah. So it's it really is...
1: disrespectful. I think to scripture to treat it like Harry Potter prophecies of just like magical predictions <laughs> that, that have to come true because the magic demands it.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: no, this is much bigger and deeper and broader than that. Yeah. Yeah. This is not about yeah. winning an argument or having this, uh, a superpower of telling the future. Yeah,
0: there are some scholars who get frustrated with these these moments because it they I think they rightly worry that it's degrading of the Hebrew memory. They're mm-hmm. basically saying, look. It's pretty effed up to take this these sacred stories from, it's appropriating it to like fist bump and proof text Jesus as the winner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you take all the Hebrew stories, like this one in particular, oh, it's heart-wrenching. Think about what's actually talking about. Mm-hmm. Weeping and endless wailing because Rachel, as metonymous for like a whole people group, weeping in grief for the children with no desire it's like i don't even want to feel okay again my children are dead like that's what this is saying and to say that and like the original meaning doesn't matter all that matters is that jesus is checking the boxes for like i'm getting all the things right to prove that i'm the winner I'm the one I'm the king. I'm, <laughs> I'm God. Everyone say yes to that. I'm the thing you should be agreeing with.
0: It's so small and boring. It's so insecure. Like this is in a, this is a emotive appeal to show that their story was resonant with his. And this is, And that he's
1: continuing their story. That's the whole point of verse of chapter one, too, is showing that he's continuing this story that's been going on for generation after generation of shared experiences, shared hopes, shared pains. Like this, this is not something that's just coming out of nothing. The, the, The only thing that matters is Jesus. No, he's like, he's carrying the baton. He's taking the torch from all of these people who came before him. And some of them are not like people we want to emulate. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like even close, but he is not happening in a vacuum. All the all the stuff that came before matters.
0: Yeah. And Judaism shouldn't be reduced to a bunch of like fortune telling. Like that's so yeah. words. I won't say disrespectful. Yeah. And degrading and anti-semitic like it's reduced in judaism yeah. to like fortune telling it, it doesn't just up.
1: matter because it was pointing to yeah. jesus yeah what makes jesus matter is that he is pointing back to all this other stuff that also matters
0: Mm-hmm. 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 these are deeply human experiences mm-hmm. you know I know I said that we were going to hit this uh, this more meta theme, but I think what I want to do, Brandon, is move that. Let's plant that at the end of the scripture. There's a few parallels in this. So listeners, if you're curious, read over this in the last like th- two or three chapters of Matthew and see if you catch some parallels. We're going to talk about it in about five and a half months. <laughs>
1: <laughs> whenever we get to the last yeah. few chapters. Yeah, yeah. Whenever, we, whenever we
0: get to. So, yeah, I think with that, I'm grateful for this conversation. We are both thankful that you were present for our reflections for this leg of the journey. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show and join in the conversation which that conversation is a benefit of the second best way to support the show, which is by becoming a sponsor. You can do that for just $5 a month. Link in the show notes. When you do that, you get comment access on the Translations Google Docs where you can be sparring it out and exploring the text with other listeners and both Brandons here. And you get the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook land. Say goodbye, Brandon. Bye. <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs>